everyone, and welcome to Autism in the Adult podcast. This is Dr. Teresa Regan joining you in the year 2024. I hope that for those of you who celebrate holidays at the end of the year and the beginning of January, that these were restful, peaceful, and enjoyable for you and your family. We are jumping back in. Um, We were in the middle of an executive function series, and if you checked in for the update before the holiday episodes, I was wrapped up in some large projects, unable to pop back on for some episodes, but now we're going to take up where we left off. In July, we had an episode on executive function, ADHD, and autism. In September, we continued the executive function talk by talking about things, uh, subsets within executive function. This included speed, working memory, and sequencing. So today, we're going to focus on a group of executive function skills that have to do with sticking and unsticking, with repetition, and with switching gears. I'm going to use some analogies to help us kind of... um, conceptualize these abilities together. So they hang together in the brain because they're part of those subcortical frontal lobe pathways, that center of the brain through the frontal lobe. And we can think of them in comparison to, uh, today I'm going to use the comparison of a car, driving a car, riding in a car, the movement of a car. One thing that the center of the brain is in charge of is something really important, which is sticking on things that are important in the moment. And then the center of the brain should help us unstick when that thing is no longer important. So this ability to stick is important and to release They're equally important, and it should be connected to what's most meaningful, what's most functional, what's safest, and what helps us reach our own goals. So if we're working toward a goal and we get stuck or unstuck in a way that holds us back, well, that's a detriment. We want to try to be aware of how we can get unstuck. Now, you can see that the sticking and unsticking can also be associated with repetition. So if you're sticking on something, it could be an actual behavioral pattern. So I actually repeat. That is the stickiness of the situation where maybe I have a thought that repeats or I have a behavior that repeats. Now, none of this is good or bad. Um, It's just something our brain does, and what's really important is just the balance and our ability to use it toward our own goals. So if it's working for us and for the situation, that's when things are the best, and when it's working against us, against our wellness, our relationships, our goals, that's when we want to say, hey, I'm in this sticky loop. And this is part of executive function, but I'd really like to be able to get unstuck. Now, within the autism neurology, 
There is often a little bit more difficulty with this sticking, unsticking kind of back and forth. So the flexibility, the flow of the brain being able to stick on something that's important in the moment, important for our wellness, our goals, um, and then to release that and get unstuck, sometimes that is a bit more uh, challenging for the autistic neurology. Again, that can work for the individual, like I'm stuck on exercising every day. Well, that could really be a great thing to be stuck on. Now, it could also work against the individual. Uh, Sometimes people are stuck on exercising, but then they get sick or injured, and it's really, really hard to then let that go and release it and then pick it up again after there's been a rest period. So ultimately, we would like the sticking, the repetition, and the unsticking to be a flow with some flexibility so that we're driving the car. We decide when we go, when we keep going, and when we stop. So let's talk about what we need our brain to do for us, and we're going to use that car analogy. So ultimately, as I said, we want to be in control of the car We don't want the car to be controlling us. What we do in the car is we decide when we want it to go from still to motion. So I'm stopped at a stoplight. Now I'm going to press the gas pedal and I'm going to accelerate and move the car. Now that concept of going from still to movement can also be an image that we compare to our behavioral patterns. So a lot of things in life involve us going from a resting state, a still state, to a state of activation. For example, I need to get off the couch. That's going from still to activated. Or I need to say something in this situation. I need to get my words out, but I've been silent. You know, that that silence to activation, that is part of this go, no go, or I'm going to put the gas pedal on now. Um, Another example would be um, getting things done, like I need to do this large project. Um, I need to actually get started. In terms of executive function, we might call this subcharacteristic behavioral initiation. So the center and front of the brain should help us initiate behavior. Now, behavior could be anything. It could be our thoughts, could be talking, it could be moving. So we're initiating or starting uh, an activated behavioral program uh, from a still state. That's part of executive function. I need to start my homework. I need to start dinner. I need to get up and organize my taxes. That's behavioral initiation. Another thing that we need our brain to do for us while we are the driver is to manage our speed. So 
it's not enough to just get going. We need to know that we can speed up or slow down as needed. So if we're driving an actual car and we speed up because the light is green and we're only speeding up to five miles an hour, I know that this this is in the United States, so you'll have to translate in your own um, country, but five miles an hour, so slow, you know, that's not really functional. It's going to take us a long time to get somewhere. It's not safe because people around us are going to be going much faster. And so we need the ability to speed up. We also need the ability to slow down. You know, if we hit that other um, red light in front of us, we need to be able to slow down and eventually stop. Or if we're driving at the speed limit, but a car cuts in front of us or an animal runs in front of us, or all of a sudden there's a rainstorm, we need to adjust our speed as the driver. We want control over that as needed so that it's flexible. It's flexible. We know we can depend on our ability to speed or slow And we'd like our brain to help us realize when we're going too fast or too slow. Sometimes we need to speed up in our behaviors. For example, some of us may lean neurologically toward really getting stuck in detail so much that we just can't get stuff done. We may be spending hours on a project that a peer might have finished in 30 minutes. Now, we might say we prefer to be correct and focus on accuracy, but there are times when that works against us. Like, oh, now I got three hours less sleep than I actually need. And the teacher told us that accuracy is not important on this particular project. So we want to be in charge of whether we can speed up. Sometimes we need to slow down and look at accuracy. If our boss says, hey, take as much time as you need on this because it needs to be flawless. We need to be able to slow down. And in executive function language, if we're impulsive... So one of the sub-elements of executive function is called behavioral inhibition. Can I inhibit or stop a behavior? It's kind of like thinking before we speak, thinking before we take an action. It's listening to the directions before we start. So we're able to hold back, go slower, and focus on accuracy rather than speed. Part of the balance of revving up or slowing down also has to do with what we call regulation. For example, I did an episode and actually a series about autism and regulation. And one of the things that sometimes is helpful is to say to ourselves, how is our motor running today? Am I revving up too high Am I chugging along and really falling behind and revving up too slow? That's a neurologic 
feature. That's something our brain is supposed to help us modulate, like I can get to just the right amount of activation. If I'm revving up too high and I need to slow my engine down, it may be that I need to get to a calmer space or I need my mind to be more silent so I can focus on what I'm doing. I need my body to be less jittery. I need to calm that down to slow that down. So regulation is also part of this executive function. We've got regulating our uh, alertness and activation level, regulating our emotions, regulating how uh, distracted versus hyper-focused we are so we can just hit that just right spot to actually uh, have it work together for us. We also need our brains to allow us as the drivers to decide when to veer off the path. Um, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember when cars did not have power steering, but I am. Uh, For youngsters, you'll have to imagine the days when there wasn't power steering. And what would happen is that particularly when the car was in Um, a parked state so we're not moving or if we've come to a complete stop and now we need to accelerate but turning right at the same time. So the act of turning the wheel of the car to change directions took a lot of muscle, a lot of effort. My first car was one of those. When I bought my first car, um, I really had to to get out of a parking space, to pull out into traffic. I really had to use some muscle. And that's what it can be like when executive function isn't helping us have that flexibility of turning off the path. What could that look like in executive function terms? Well, it could look like I always uh, start my day this way but something unexpected happened. And my brain may be screaming at me to just plow forward in the same way that I always do. But can I stop and have the flexibility and the the power as the driver to say, no, I'm going to veer off onto another path. This is not my usual routine. This is not the way I usually get this result. Um, But today, I'm going to use that effort. I'm going to put in that, that muscle to turn the steering wheel a different way. Now, when our neurology is working for us, it lets that turn feel relatively easy, like we have power steering. But when the stickiness is on too high and our brain knows darn well that we do our homework in a specific order, we do science and then lit and then math, and we do not do it in a different order. And guess what? If we turn to a different path because maybe someone is borrowing our resources for science, 
and we want to start anyway, you know, then our brain should release that order and help us realize that, yeah, I can release that. I can use some effort, some muscle to take a different path. I'm going to change things around. I'm going to adjust to what's happening right now. Uh, So it's akin to thinking, oh, we're driving the car on our favorite route to work, and oh, there's an accident right in front of us. Rather than plowing forward and hoping to get there, um, we, we need that flexibility to say, oh, this isn't my favorite route, but I'm going to take it, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go a different way. Now that takes some energy if our stickiness is a little high, um, but in the end, it can get us the end re- result we're actually wanting. This uh, kind of changing paths, this is akin to what we might call transitions. So particularly when uh, we're talking about youngsters, we might use the term, oh, they have difficulty with transitions. Usually in school, that means, oh, they have difficulty transitioning from a summer break to being in class, or they have difficulty transitioning to um, changing classes in the older grades where I have math in this room, but I have science in a different room. They might have transitions going from one kindergarten station, you know, reading circle to craft circle. I have to shift. I have to shift gears. I have to transition from reading to crafting. And in the adult, we don't use the word transitions as much, but it, it certainly still applies. So what could that be? I have to transition from one meeting to another meeting, or I need to transition my mindset from a meeting to working on a different project. So there may be this time and space that it just takes a lot of effort and shift to um, get in a different mindset uh, to feel like the flow is coming again. And finally, we need that part of the brain to help us stop. So to help us release rather than repeat, to help us get unstuck and to let it go. For example, if we are really have a great momentum for um, healthy eating, for example, and we have a really, um, we've plotted out a spreadsheet with when we eat what and all of this stuff, um, you know, there may be a time when we have a medical condition maybe celiac or we get diabetes or something, and we have to stop that um, that path. We have to just let it go. Now, we, we can take another path, but medically, we really need to, to switch. And so we need to release. We need to be able to come to a stopping point with some of our habits, with some of our routines, because something may happen where we just cannot keep taking the same path. 
So being able to stop a behavior. I can no longer run anymore. My knees are, you know, really um, arthritic, and I just can't do that anymore. I just have to put it down. I can't go to concerts anymore. I used to love the vibration of the music, and I'd put headphones on. And, but even now, with my with aging, my hearing is so sensitive. I just can't now. And now, what am I going to do? You know, I have to put that down and be able to switch and transition. If you like analogies for behavioral patterns and how the brain works. You may also like a chapter in my second book. The book is called Understanding Autistic Behaviors. And it's called, the chapter is called The Physics of Behavior. So I was trying to explain behavioral patterns and how they work neurologically to a client and family. And they were interested in physics. And I, I had this way of explaining it with physics concepts. I really like it. You don't have to know about physics. It just talks about things like gravity and momentum and acceleration and a few of the crossover things we talked about today. But I think it really helps bring to life why neurology impacts our ability to stick, to unstick, to transition, to get going, and to stop. So what might be helpful If you are someone who has difficulty switching gears, shifting gears, um, maybe transitioning, um, adjusting the things that we've discussed today. One of the things I highly recommend if you've never tried it is called a time timer. And lots of people say, oh, yeah, I've tried timers that that's not that helpful or it's a little bit helpful. Now, this is not a timer that you set and it goes off. So if you haven't tried a time timer, please try it. It's super easy. You can get free apps from the App Store for your device. You can order physical ones from the internet, places like Amazon and other internet sites. Um, Essentially, you get this visual image, this red bar, and you get to set it for the time that is meaningful for you in that moment. So an example of a client that I had who said, you know, this was one of the things that really changed her life that we were able to kind of figure out for her is that it was really hard for her to transition from being at home to going to work. And that meant that she was chronically late or she had to call in um, it was almost like she said, I just felt like I, if I was sitting in a chair, I couldn't even get up, like I couldn't move to get going. And what she ended up doing was setting a, an alarm in her phone. The alarm was to set the time timer. So she would set the time timer for 20 minutes and put it in a place that she could see And the time timer then, the red, slowly disappears as the 20 minutes disappears. And what it does is it kind of gives your nervous system uh, warnings, 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 preparation, preparation, preparation. Oh, it's coming. It's a little bit closer. 
I know what happens when the red um, elapses. Um, and the nervous system gets this uh, kind of TLC about um, there's a transition coming, you know what it is. Uh, it's a little bit closer, but you still got some time. And it it disappears silently. And then you can have it ring at the end, or you can just have it be silent, whatever you prefer. But especially because time, that sense of time is also part of executive function. If you have time blindness, or you have that um, difficulty where, you know, if someone says 10 minutes or 40 minutes, like it doesn't, you don't have that internal sense of what that means, um, then the time timer can be really helpful. In fact, when we got it at our house, it was super helpful. It cut down on repetitive questions about when are we leaving. Um, we also used it for things like I'm going to set the time timer and I'm going to, you know, walk on the treadmill for this length of time or I'm going to work on math until the red is out. Um, and that is also a great way to do it. I found that I really like to use it because what I realized is if I set the timer for 30 minutes to work on a task, I realized that I tend to flit around. Um, oh, I started the task, but then I see something else. And the time timer helps me say, oh, no, I'm working on this for 30 minutes. And seeing that red is really helpful for me to have a sense of, should I start a new chunk of this task? Um, is the red amount that's left going to allow me to do that? So it may not help you, but if you haven't tried it, please do. It can be really, really helpful. Another thing that can help you is to try to keep some momentum going. Um, an example would be sometimes my clients will be tempted to say, oh, I um, pushed and pushed and pushed um, during my semester and I just went on high speed through the whole thing. I barreled through. Now I'm exhausted and I'm going to do nothing for the summer. Um, I wouldn't recommend that for lots of reasons. But one is that once your nervous system goes from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour, the problem you're going to have is that starting from zero is going to feel very effortful again. If you can maintain some momentum so that you're adjusting your speed as you go along and you can still get restful times and you can get balanced active times, that's going to help you keep some momentum so you don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to start from zero because that is hard. You know, adjusting your speed from uh, 50 miles an hour to 65 takes some concentration and determination, but it's not like this whole mountain, like, oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine starting all of this again. Another example that I found is that uh, COVID kind of uh, set up the same kind of difficulty 
um, people were kind of forced to uh, sometimes work from home or do school from home. And while that felt good in some ways, the problem ended up being that after COVID was more uh, controlled and there were vaccines and the rates were very low, the, the thought of going outside into the community or going back into a workplace, it just was so insurmountable that um, re-entering uh, life from a zero, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving my house to I'm doing life in the community, um, that transition has been very difficult. So if you can keep some momentum um, rather than coming to a complete stop, that time when you want to get going again might feel easier. You might also want to just take small steps to shift. So let's say that the COVID situation really did impact you. Um, maybe you can, instead of saying, um, I'm going to get back into the community this year, maybe you could say, I'm going to start by taking a five-minute walk in my neighborhood. I'm going to add to that by going through a drive through to get some tea or coffee. Um, so adding these little things so that you're not trying to go from zero to 70, um, but you can kind of increase your speed in increments. And finally, some of my clients like to keep a list of unexpected things that happened. So uh, we know they're going to happen. They can make it uh, necessary for us to switch gears, for us to turn off our usual route or take a different path. And that can feel jarring. It can feel um, like it takes a lot of energy. Sometimes psychologically, it can feel a little easier if we have a list going and we can say, ah, this goes on my unexpected list. I have my big thing for the day, um, and I know exactly where to put this. You know, this is on my, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming list. And then I can put it on the list. I know where it goes. And it took some energy, but I can release it then and put my notebook down, put my list away, and keep moving on. These are just some things that clients have benefited from or that I've really uh, seen helpful in everyday life. I hope this concept makes some sense to you, the executive function abilities of getting going, of inhibiting um, impulsivity, you know, being able to focus on accuracy or speed whenever it's important being able to uh, transition, to change paths, and to stop and release. I'll go ahead and put some links in the show notes for things like a time timer. I'll also link some related episodes from the past that may help you expand on these topics if you're interested. And I will be happy to join you soon for our next episode. <music>